such a good morning. Like, this is so, so good to be together. There's like this, this really sweet, just kind of spirit of worship and the presence of God uh, in this place, both through, um, through our worship, through singing together, but also just through the community life, sharing and affirming each other. You know, this is, this is my third Sunday. This is our family's third Sunday with you all. And uh, it's really good to be here with you. It's been so good to, to get to meet some of you. I haven't had a chance to, to meet and like really sit down and hear many of your stories, but kind of working, working uh, as time allows to be able to do that. And it's been so good and so encouraging uh, just to see God at work uh, through you all as, as a church, to see the joy that is in your lives. I don't know if you just like sense that today, but it's, it's really a beautiful thing. Uh, the joy of a congregation that gathers, uh, the sense of family, like spiritual family, uh, of loving and seeing one another, but not a family that is closed. Uh, sometimes we can, we can get to the place where we feel like, well, this is my church family, but we don't really want anyone else to come in, and I haven't sensed that at all. From y'all, and that's a like that's a really kind of rare thing, right? To have these close knit relationships, and yet it's open to say, "Man, we want other people to join us." And I see that so much in you all, and and it's a beautiful thing. And that is uh, that's what we're talking about on these uh, Sunday mornings over the last couple of weeks. Is uh, we're in our third week of this teaching series called "A Beautiful Church," a beautiful church. <clears throat> and again, it has nothing to do with the building. It has nothing to do with, with how we look on the outside. A beautiful church has everything to do um, with who God is forming us to be as his people who reflect his goodness and his love into the world. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about <clears throat> um, the church in Antioch. You find in Acts chapter, uh, chapters 11, 12, 13, and, and on, and how this church in Antioch was a beautiful church, and learning from them, um, two weeks ago, we talked about how a, a beautiful church is going to have a resilient faith in the resurrected Christ. Like that, that's what draws people in a world that is uncertain, in a world where um, everything feels sort of unstable. It is a people who say, my hope is firmly established, and I have this resilient faith in the resurrected Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and then last week we talked about unity in Christ, how you can, like when Jesus is at the center and when he is lifted up, he's going to draw all kinds of people to himself. And we will find our unity not in our commonalities, not because we share all the same kinds of opinions about all sorts of things, uh, but we will find our unity in Christ alone. And only he is able to do that. And that's a beautiful thing that the world needs, right? And so today what we want to talk about is, uh, is kind of moving forward into a beautiful church is going to live in the flow of God's grace. And I love this. Like, we didn't plan this, uh, but as we're singing these songs this morning, I just thought, like, how much of what we were singing, yet not I, but through Christ in me, and the one right before that, uh, God is for us, uh, were just, like, perfect examples of what it means to live in the flow of of God's grace. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles again, uh, Acts chapter 11. I'm, I'm going to read a couple of passages from Acts 11, 13, and 14. The words will be on the screen uh, behind me as well. So first, starting uh, Acts 11, verses uh, 21 to 23. Now the Lord's hand was with them, 
And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So um, the gospel takes root in this city of Antioch, this multicultural city, and it's the first ever multicultural church that, that springs up, and word about it gets all the way back to Jerusalem, and so they send Barnabas, and he comes, and, and when he sees this people who are gathered in Jesus' name, did you hear what the text says? He saw the evidence, not of, wow, they must have had like a really dynamic leader who was at the center of it. That's not what the text says. It says they saw what the grace of God had done. Like it was evidence of just like God's grace at work, and it fills Barnabas with joy, and he just encourages them, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Now let's look at Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. So this is sometime later now. Um, maybe a year later, God has raised up leaders within the church in Antioch. Um, and, and here's what it says. While these leaders, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So there's this like prolonged period of just like seeking God. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God speaks to them in this time of worship and fasting. So they continue. It says, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them um, off. So you, you can see, like, the church in Antioch, there is this spiritual hunger that is inside of them. Like this, this literal hunger because they're fasting. But it's, it's not just a physical hunger. It is a spiritual hunger to, like, to hear from God, to be directed by God. There is an expectation that God is going to speak. And God does speak. Like the Holy Spirit speaks. And we don't know exactly how that happened in that context. But somehow they become aware that God has a special sort of calling for these two men, Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul later. And they send them off. Um, send them off to the work that God has called them to. Now, then, the last text we're going to look at is sometime later when Barnabas and Saul are coming back. So here they're launched into mission from Antioch, and now in Acts 14, verses 26 to 28, Saul and Barnabas have gone out, they've planted the gospel in these different communities, churches have begun to grow up, and they come back uh, to Antioch. And it says, um, yeah, verse 26 says they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed or commissioned to the grace of God. That's how they think about it. Like when they had been sent off, they, they weren't sent off, hey, go do great work. They were commissioned, committed to the grace of God that was going with them for the work that they had now completed. Verse 27, and on arriving there, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so um, we see that not only were Saul and Barnabas launched in faith for this work, but they landed, or in grace, I mean, but they landed back in Antioch in grace as well. Like, it, do you see, I just want to like give these little snapshots of the text that this church, this beautiful church in Antioch was just like living in the flow of God's grace. You see it all over the text, and a beautiful church is going to do this, is going to live in the flow of God's grace. So what do we mean when we say grace? Not like when we say grace before a meal. Uh, but 
what do we mean, and what does the, the scripture mean when it talks about grace? Um, I'm guessing what comes to your mind when you hear the word grace is something like amazing grace, right? That saved a wretch like me. Um, and nobody said amen to that. You, you could have said amen to that. My wife didn't say amen to that either. What, but grace, like we, we think about like the amazing grace of God that saves us. And yet, when the Bible talks about grace, the, the idea is much bigger than we realize, than, than many of us actually realize. Uh, John Wesley, and I don't know if you have heard of John Wesley, amazing man of God, uh, revival preacher. And, and here's how John Wesley defined grace. He says, it is the undeserved, unmerited, loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. Let that soak in for a little bit. Unmerited, undeserving, loving action of God in human existence, in our lives, through the ever-present Holy Spirit. Now, John Wesley, as he's looking at Scripture, and he's like, okay, there are like almost these different aspects of grace. And he identified three different types of grace. And he said the first one is like prevenient grace. That's a big word. Um, you guys have been silent for a little while. Everybody want to say prevenient grace? Very well done. Prevenient grace. Uh, it's a big word, but it just means grace that goes before us. It's like grace that is preceding us. It goes on ahead of us. And, and this is what is like the grace of God that is involved in every human life. Every person on the planet. You can think about, like, right now, in your mind, the person who maybe God has placed on your heart, and, and you would look at this person, you would think about them, and you think, wow, they're, they're like turned away from Jesus, and they're walking away from him, and maybe they've walked really far away from Jesus. The prevenient grace of God is at work in their life. Like, God promises this. Like, there is not a person on the planet that the prevenient grace of God is not drawing their heart to Jesus. To trust that. To know that. Um, this is in, in 1 Timothy 2. We're told that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That the heart of God is to draw people to Jesus. So prevenient grace is what leads us to seek Christ. Um, the, the grace is at work on our hearts before it's at work in our hearts. So that's, that's one aspect of grace. The second is the one we mostly think about is justifying grace or saving grace. I mean, this is the, the grace that like when we turn toward Jesus, when we're compelled by the, the love and kindness of Jesus, of what he's done for us, we open our lives to it, and God's justifying, saving grace flows into us, and it forgives us. And it's like the doorway to a brand new identity, to a brand new life with God. And this is what uh, the scriptures talk about, as it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not by yourselves, not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? You, you hear this, like, justifying, saving grace. I hope we've all experienced this this incredible gift from God. So we have prevenient grace, justifying saving grace, and then lastly, we have sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. Now, um, sustaining grace is that grace that flows into our life and empowers us to do what God has called us to do. It's the grace that helps us grow to be more like Jesus. It's his grace that is at work in our heart as we are following Jesus. And so sometimes we think, wow, we only need grace when we mess up. It's just not true. That's a narrow view of grace. Of course we need God's grace when we mess up, and it's always there. Like, I love, I, I hadn't heard that song, God is for us, that he will cheer us on with his, what, never-ending grace. 
I mean, of course, God's grace is there when we mess up. But Dallas Willard says this. He's like, we think that sinners need grace, but that's not true. Saints need grace more than anyone else. He says this. Uh, is it up there? No, I didn't put it on the screen. A sinner is not the only one who uses a lot of grace. The saint uses more grace. The saint, I love this image, burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff because everything they do is a manifestation of grace. And when he says saint, don't think like, you know, saints, um, you, you know, in the Catholic Church. Think anybody who has trusted Jesus as Lord. He's using the word saint in the biblical sense. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. And you burn grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. God's sustaining grace that is constantly flowing into our lives. Are you with me? So you see, grace is bigger than, than most of us realize. We, we often have a narrow view of grace, and I think there's a goodness to it that God just wants to expand us, that we need it. So let's bring all of this back to, to the church in Antioch here. As you, as you heard these texts read, who's doing the work? Is it God or is it the people? kind of dangerous. Is that a trick question, Pastor? I don't know, right? I mean, is it God or is it the people? Well, I mean, the text is pretty clear. Who's moving? Who's the one who's like primarily moving? It's the Spirit who's at work. God is moving. God is the one who's drawing people, opening doors. God is doing all of the heavy lifting, and yet, would the church in Antioch have existed without people who were responding to God's grace? Without people who were just faithfully doing what God has asked them to do? Like, no. Like, God wouldn't have done it on his own. It was the disciples who shared the word. It was Paul or Saul and Barnabas who taught the disciples. It was people who chose to fast and worship, right? I mean, they, they had choice in that. It was, it was Saul and Barnabas who were sent on mission. And yet, um, we could say God is very clearly the one doing the work, and yet it doesn't happen without people being involved. And that's the mystery of God's grace, isn't it? I mean, God has the power to do anything God wants to do. And, and God could, you know, he could bring people to the Lord, and he could, you know, make a church grow. He could do all of that by himself, and yet, he doesn't. Why? It's because God is so loving and so relational that he chooses to partner with us. He chooses to partner with people just like us. Like, people who, you know, we, we think, wow, God, like, I'm not worthy of partnership, and, and I'm not ready yet. I, I got all this stuff I have to sort out. And God just says, like, I, I don't care about that stuff. Like, right now, I care about your heart. And if your heart is surrendered to me, we'll take care of that stuff. Like, God chooses to partner with his people. And, and, and let's just look one last time at Acts 14, verses 26 to 28, because in light of what we've just talked about, look again at how the text talks about Saul and Barnabas coming back from the mission. And there was lots of hard work involved in this mission of planting churches in these cities. And it says this, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed, sent out to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. It's God's grace, but they're doing the work. And on arriving there back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and they reported all that who did? Like God had done through them. Like this is, this is the flow of God's grace. This is, this is God's heart for us. This is life in the flow of God's grace. Um, what if there was a group of people? Like what if 
there was a group of people that lived with such expectation to say, wow, like God's grace is at work all around us. Like all around us. Every conversation I have, every interaction, um, every place I go, I am swimming in an ocean of God's grace. I'm immersed in it. Like what if there was a group of people that just like saw that and, and understood it and, and it's a prevenient grace in every situation. It's a saving grace that is, is drawing people to Jesus and offering them salvation. It's the sustaining grace that is at work in us and filling us and empowering us to be faithful to do the work that he's called us to do. Like what if we just saw ourselves like this, I think it would be really beautiful, right? Now, over the past 16 years of ministry, I've been, I've been a follower of Jesus for uh, almost 26 years. I know, I, I don't seem that old. Um, when, uh, when, Matt, when Matt said, you know, half of the people at Regen are going to be like youth and young adults, I was like, I'll be one of them. Not so much anymore. Um, and so I've, I've been in a pastor for 16 years, and I have seen people um, just open up their hearts to the grace of God through Jesus. And I have watched people be won by just the goodness of Jesus and, and God's vision of restoring broken things. I have watched people find a passion to serve others humbly in love. I have seen them get involved in doing really hard things, hard work that God called them to do to make wrong things right in Jesus' name. And it's beautiful when it happens. I, I've watched skeptics and, and cynics come to faith in Jesus, and I've seen them be drawn to Jesus through the beauty of a church. Like, I've watched that happen, and it is phenomenal, and I celebrate it. And over the past 16 years, I have watched people who once, like, burned so brightly for Jesus, whose hearts were just on fire, and I've watched them burn out. I have watched people who had this light in their eyes, and I've watched it go dim. And I've watched people who had been involved in such difficult ministry, hard and holy ministry. I've watched them just sort of, their heart just kind of gets hard and cold, and they kind of darken, and they, they take on this kind of cynicism and despair. And I have watched people walk away from Jesus, from the church, from faith. And it is, it is the most painful part of ministry. It's the most painful part of being a follower of Jesus, right? When people we know and love, we just watch this, this happen. Why does that happen? Like, how does that happen? How do we, like, keep it from happening in our own hearts, in our own lives? And I think, like, maybe one of the reasons, and I think there, there are lots of reasons this can happen, but one of the reasons is because of this subtle shift that can happen in our lives. And it's a shift of living in the flow of God's grace to sort of beginning to operate in our own effort. It, it's the subtle shift of saying, it's not life with God, but it's life lived for God. I mean, let that sink in for a second. When, when I, I first heard this through um, uh, Richard Foster, who wrote a book called Life with God, and when I heard this, it just like clicked. It was like coin drops in the slot. 
And it's like, because there are times in my life when, when I just, like, my heart begins to drift away from Jesus. And I know that one of the reasons this happens is because I've taken on this posture of living for God. And I'm doing stuff for God. And rather than living with God in the flow of God's grace. And, and so, it's a subtle shift. But do you feel it? Do you feel the difference in that? For God, with God. Um, there was a, a psychiatrist named uh, Frank Lake, and he partnered up with this Swiss theologian called uh, Emil Brunner. And these two, um, is this thing clicking? Do you hear this? Oh, oh okay. It's like catching on my, my sweater. Um, and, and these two guys were, were distressed by how many missionaries had been commissioned to God's grace, and yet within a couple of months, they were going into really hard contexts, and they burned out. They give up. And they either walked away from their faith or from the mission God has called them to. And so they started asking questions like, why is this happening? So you got a psychologist and a theologian, and they, they just start they, they started the place every Christian should start. They start with a life of Jesus. And so they start just pouring over the Gospels. Like, okay, like there has to be answers in the life of Jesus to, to keep people from burning out. And so they, they notice, as they look at Jesus, they start to notice this pattern in his life. And they called it the cycle of grace. Hey, just out of curiosity, have you ever heard this before? Okay, so good. This is, this is so, so helpful. They notice this pattern in Jesus, and I want to walk through this because I think it can, be, it can be super, super helpful for us knowing how to live in the flow of grace. So a couple things. They noticed at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, look at how the gospel begins. The gospel of Mark begins this way. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And there was a voice that came from heaven, and this is what the voice from heaven says about Jesus. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. That's how Jesus begins his ministry. This is the first interaction we have in the Gospel of Mark with Jesus. How old was Jesus? Anybody know, like, kind of roughly how old Jesus was when he started ministry? 30-ish, right? Yeah, 30-ish. Um, the Jesus begins his ministry with acceptance. He's accepted by the Father. He hears his voice that every child needs to hear from their parent, right? And, and many of us, like, maybe we didn't hear these kinds of things um, and, and know that, like, your heavenly parent has always thought this about you. Like, you are my son, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Like, Jesus begins his ministry with acceptance. How much ministry has he done by the age of 30? What's recorded in Scripture? What has, he do, what has he been doing for 30 years? Normal life stuff, going to work and going to synagogue and being a part of his community and being a part of his family and like all those things. Like Jesus has not healed one person that we know of. Jesus has not taught any sermons. There have been no miracles. He has no disciples. And before Jesus does anything, in a public way, what does his father say about him? I love you. I, I'm pleased with you. Like he, Jesus begins his ministry with this word of acceptance. And then it is out of that acceptance that Jesus, um, and he doesn't begin ministry right away. Do you know what he does? He goes into the wilderness to fast and pray. 
And so Jesus, out of the acceptance, this is what they, they notice in the life of Jesus, he had these, call, call them sustaining practices. Call them spiritual discipline, whatever you want. But Jesus had this habit. Do you notice this if you read the Gospels, like how often Jesus was just, um, he was withdrawing to quiet places and pray, to pray, to be with his Father. I mean, he regularly did this. The text says he would often do this. He would withdraw to lonely places and pray. Uh, what else did Jesus do? Well, he was, he was immersed in the scriptures. Every time, like, he faced something hard, scriptures just kind of came out of him, right? Um, so he, he was, like, soaking up God's um, the scriptures, the, the word of God. Um, Jesus had relationships. He, he didn't live a solitary life. He was in community with his disciples who he had he called them friends, so he was surrounded in community. He, he would worship regularly. There's this great, this great little line in Luke chapter 4. It says, he went to the synagogue in his hometown as was his custom. I mean, he just did this. It was a rhythm of his life to gather for worship. And so Jesus had these sustaining practices that just marked his ministry, these regular sort of times when he was communing with his father and he was being filled up. Do you see that? So acceptance, sustaining practices, and then what happens? Out of that, um, he, again, it's not like he begins ministry. It says the third thing is there is significance. He understands his identity because of all of this. Um, that he has, he has, it's like his line, the word significance, it, it's like a sign that is pointing to something. The word sign is embedded in there. That Jesus understands because of his acceptance, because of these regular sustaining practices, he understands who he is. He knows, like, his identity. He knows that it's clear. And he knew that he was a sign that was going to point to the rule and reign of God. And finally, out of all of that, then Jesus begins to minister. Then he begins to pour his life out to other people. And what does he do? My goodness, grace flows out of Jesus. Um, he gives his life away. He's healing people, and he's cleansing people of, of, of demonic spirits, and he's forgiving sinners, and he's teaching crowds of people. And this is the ongoing cycle of grace that Jesus lived in, acceptance, sustained practices, significance, and then there is fruitfulness and achievement. And then even after Jesus would pour himself out, what did he do? He went back to these sustaining practices. Can, can you see this in the life of Jesus? Right? What does this look like in your life? I mean, this is the flow of grace. This is like, this is the way God has designed human beings uh, to function, that we were not designed to be independent creatures. We were designed to be dependent on God's grace for our whole being, for our whole life. And Jesus modeled that. It's amazing to think that, like, the very presence of God, Jesus limited himself and took on our humanity so that we could understand, like, he modeled it for us, how to do this. Um, do you know that you're accepted? Like, be before you did anything for Jesus, if you never do anything else for Jesus, he loves you. He accepts you. How many of you have looked at a newborn child recently? Have you been in the room, like, when a baby came into the world? It, I mean, it's, it's a crazy experience. And you look at a newborn child, now, I... I almost feel bad doing this with a baby in the room. Um, you'll, you'll know why here in a second. But how many of you have looked at a child and said, like, wow, man, this kid is worthless? Have you ever done that? Hopefully not. Do you know why? Right? Well, I mean, you think about it. How much value is this kid going to add to their parents in the first five years of life? 
I mean, what are they going to do? Right? When are they going to actually start working and earning an income and like cleaning up after themselves? What's life going to be like for the sorry? What's life going to be like for the first 5 years? I mean, like sleepless nights and take, take, take and need, need, need and it's nothing but just like complete input into this kid's life. And yet, right, we get that and yet when a child comes into the world, what do we say now like, to this child, right? This kid is precious, is valuable. They're, like a good parent is going to accept that child. Why? Because their worth doesn't come from what they do. It doesn't come from what they achieve. It doesn't come from what they have. Their worth is given to them by God. They're created in God's image. And that's true of you, right? It's true of every one of us. And yet somewhere along the way, we forget this. We start to take on this identity that says, man, I I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say about me. And it's just not true. Like our life begins with acceptance, that God looks at us and, and he sees us, and he loves us. Now, I should say this, that acceptance and approval are not the same thing. My parents have always accepted me. They have not always approved of me, right? That's what a good parent says. So, like, there are certainly things in our life that God looks at us and says, ah, oh, I love you, and because I love you, I don't approve of this. Like, this is going to be damaging to you. So don't get those two things disconnected. But God, he gives us this spirit of acceptance A spirit not of fear, not a fear of rejection or a fear of trying to please a harsh God, but he gives us a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. Acceptance is where life with God begins. And out of that acceptance, we just draw near to God. And and these rhythms of sustaining practices in our lives, right? We we live with a sense of, God, I, I know that your grace is around me, and I know that you want to speak to me, and I know that you want to form me in the way of Jesus, and so I expect it, and so I want to abide with Jesus. Like, I, I just want to, like, be present to Jesus. I want to enjoy friendship with God. I mean, so many times we think about, like, life with God is hard and heavy, and it's like, man, I should do more. How many of you, like, you think about your Bible, and you think, like, I really should read the Bible. And that's the voice in our head is, I should. And we feel guilty, and it, it like makes us feel kind of condemned, and those are the, the narratives we have in our, our life. And I think like it, the, the narrative of should is not a narrative of acceptance and sustaining practices. It's guilt and it's shame, and it's not what God wants for us. So God invites us to draw near to the heart of of Jesus, and he loves us, and he wants to pour his grace into our life. And so you, you, you learn from people in, throughout history who just enjoyed this friendship with God. Like, who, just like maybe there's a sustaining practice in your life of just finding joy in the simplicity of life with God. For me, like, I love taking walks in the woods. This is, um, I love Ohio, like the trees and, you know, woods, and, and I love taking walks in the woods and just appreciating the goodness of God that I see. And just like allowing God to, to speak to my heart through this, of, of taking in the beauty because God created it. Um, maybe, maybe you just enjoy like playing with your kids and, and letting like that idea of, of, a, of a parent or an adult who's, who's just like taking delight in a child like sink into you that this is how God sees you. He, he loves you. Maybe it's just goodness of life, drinking good coffee, eating good food. Who do you think gave you taste buds? Right? <laughs> Why did God do that? Because he loves for us to enjoy life, like these sustaining practices. And then there's worship where we tune our hearts to God and there's scripture where we listen to God speak to us. And 
and, and form us. So we have these sustaining practices, and out of that, we know who we are. We, we have significance. We know that our lives matter um, because of this, that our lives are going to point to him. And you can think about your life. Like, what, what is your significance in life? Like, what has God wired you to do? What has he put on your heart to do? Of who, who God has made you to be? What is your unique way of being in the world? Because ministry isn't just what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are, your significance. And then lastly, out of all of that becomes the work we do. Our fruitfulness, our achievement. And there's hard work, but it's work with God, not work for God. And I think if, if this is the cycle of grace that we live in, I think what we will find is, wow, like it, it takes pressure off of us. It's not hard, it's not heavy, it's not a burden, um, it's not motivated by should and guilt and shame. It is this invitation to live in the flow of God's grace. Do you see that? And I hope, I hope, I hope you see it and you experience it. Um, that he takes the, the, the edge off that says like, okay, we're not lazy, but we're also not frantic either. There's work to be done, but it is work that is done with God. But here, here's the thing is that most of us, what we do is we flip the arrows, right? So next slide there. Um, I think slide, slide 23 is like we actually, we, we flip these arrows around. And most people, and, and the way the world functions is this, is like we work really hard to try to achieve things, to try to accomplish things, to try to like to make ourselves feel significant. Because when we do lots of things, we feel like we have worth and significance. And then out of that significance and out of that work, like we try to sustain ourselves, these sustaining practices. The problem is that, that most of the time what we look to sustain ourselves with can't give us actual life. We, we find ourselves like medicating ourselves and, and numbing our pain and, and trying I'm trying to drink from broken cisterns that cannot sustain us. And then all of that is done in the hope that maybe someday if we achieve enough, we'll be accepted. And this, man, this is so painful. This is the cycle they call the cycle of works or the cycle of death. And we step out of the flow of God's grace and we quickly find ourselves running on fumes. And I think this is one of the reasons why our hearts get cold. Because we've shifted into working for God and and then what starts to happen is these dashboard lights begin to come on on our souls. Do you know you have dashboard lights? I have, I have dashboard lights where I know, like, something is off. Like, pay attention to this. Um, for me, if I start to notice, like, I hear about somebody in need and I just have a lack of compassion, something's wrong. That's one of the first symptoms that I'm, like, out of the flow of grace in my life. Um, and then I can quickly shift to, like, cynicism, and I just kind of, like... I'm, I'm dismissive. I lose my curiosity about people, and I just kind of write people off. I resonate with anybody? What are the dashboard lights in your life when you, when you reverse this cycle and you start, like, stepping out of the flow of grace? Like, maybe today, like, maybe you feel tired and worn down. And if you're honest, like, there's, there's some sense of burnout. I'm just like, I... Yeah, like my heart used to be on fire, and it's not. And, and to just take these moments and reflect on this, to say, is there any way in which I have reversed this cycle that Jesus 
has taught us? Is there any way I've stepped out of the flow of God's grace and I'm trying to earn something from God? I'm working for God rather than working with God. And when you just let the Spirit just, just speak to your heart in that. Is there any aspect of grace that you need today? Like may, maybe you sense God's prevenient grace that has been on your heart and drawing you and you, you can't explain it, but you, you find yourself just being compelled by Jesus. And like maybe you just need to receive that as a gift today to say like, wow, like okay, God, I recognize you're, you're moving. And, and maybe you need to receive that justifying, saving grace that, that as, you, as you look at what Jesus has done, that he came into this world to communicate God's love and acceptance, that he came and he, he as he ministered to people, it's like he front and loaded acceptance with the people that he met. Right? Sinners love to be around Jesus. And then Jesus ultimately, he gave his life away to say, like, this is God's desire to draw all people to a relationship with him through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe today you just need to receive God's justifying and saving grace to just surrender to it. Or maybe you need to live in the flow of God's sustaining grace. God wants us, he wants every one of us to experience the joy and the fullness and the beauty of life lived in the flow of his sustaining grace. God, I just pray that in these moments that you would, you would minister to our hearts. God, you know the condition of every one of our hearts. And so I just pray that in, a, in this honest moment, that we would uh, just sort of take down any pretenses that we have, that we would take down any need to pretend to have anything more together than we do. You can't transform the me I'm trying to be. You deal in reality, and you know the condition of my heart and everybody's heart. And so, God, I, I just ask that in this honest moment that you would speak your truth in life in the way that each of us need it today. God, you know what the needs are. You know, like, what your, only your grace can provide that we need. And so, through your Holy Spirit that is at work in this space, God, would you do, would you do your work? Would you just bring the flow of grace at work, not just into our own lives, but into this church? Form us more and more into a beautiful people who are, who are formed in the way of Jesus, who are living in the flow of your grace for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.